Uh, well, good morning, guys. It's great to see you. Happy Easter to you all. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Isn't that beautiful? We see that it's up against um, the, I guess, hanging there on the wall. He is risen. Great reminder for us all. Great reminder that Jesus Christ is risen and in, indeed. And if you're here this morning face to face or if you're on Zoom this morning, uh, I really want to just extend our blessing as a church to you. Uh, to know that he is risen and risen indeed, and really want to share with you this morning what that actually, uh, a little bit of what that actually means for us. I remember I said to you on Friday night, there's three words on Friday night that I shared with you, it is finished, and what that meant, that God put an end to something old in order to start something new, you know, it is finished in order for something new to begin. And this morning I want to share with you another three words, if you'd like, and there's three words that we see clearly behind me here, that he is risen, how, how few words can mean so much. And I pray this morning that they uh, are able to speak into your life this morning, that he is risen. What does that actually mean? What does it mean that he is risen indeed? And that we would walk away really being able to celebrate and rejoice in the faith and the knowledge that Jesus Christ is risen and is risen uh, for our sakes. Let's pray. Let's pray and ask the Lord's blessing on this morning and ask the Lord to bless those who heard the word on Friday night, uh, that they would also continue to receive God's word and be uh, open to hearing all the things that the Lord even has to say to them as he continues to speak into their lives. We pray this is the case. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you, Lord, for this morning. We thank you, Lord Jesus. You are the resurrected Christ. Uh, you live and reign forever. And Lord, we trust and believe that the grave is empty indeed. And because of this, Lord, we have life. And because of this, we have hope and because of this father we have freedom and we thank you lord jesus for what you did for us we pray lord for all those who have heard your word this weekend whether it be friday night and those who hear your word this morning that all they hear is you they hear your voice your spirit and that their hearts continue to be open to listen to what you have to say father the words are your words and i pray that we're ready to receive father bless this morning Bless all that continues to be said and done in Jesus' name. Amen. I want us to open up our Bibles this morning to Matthew in the New Testament, Matthew chapter 28, where there's one of the accounts of Jesus Christ being risen from the grave, from the tomb. And listen to the story here and what the Lord Jesus has to tell us in this passage, Matthew 28. We're going to read verses verses 1 to 8 in a moment. I want to ask us a couple of questions just before I actually read from this passage. The first, first question I want to ask you this morning is, how well do you know forgiveness? How well do you know the idea of being forgiven? That if you sat here this morning and you just contemplated and I said to you, are you forgiven? What would your response be to me? Do you know what it means to be forgiven? Do you know what it means to experience forgiveness? What would you understand this term to mean? What would your experience be like this? We know, we know the blessing of someone forgiving us. Like if we offended someone and we go up to them and say, oh, forgive me, and they say, yeah, I forgive you. We know the relief that we feel when someone actually forgives us. But imagine if I said to you, do you know the God, the creator of this universe, the one who knows your soul, the one who knows the things you've done more than what anyone else knows on this earth? Do you know that he's forgiven you? Can you confidently say that I'm forgiven by him? Because this is the greatest gift you could ever receive in life. 
You can have so many things in life. You can have all the houses you want. You can go all the holidays that you want. You can seek peace in so many things in life. But unless you have this, this understanding, this forgiveness, this God-given forgiveness, you really don't know life. It's one of the most beautiful experiences of life to have experienced the forgiveness of God. How well do you know that this morning? How, well do you, how much do you desire it this morning? Long for it this morning? Because I tell you what happens when forgiveness happens in your life. When you come to the Lord Jesus Christ and you truly and genuinely say, God, this is what I've done. This, this, is, what I, this, this is how I've lived my life and, and enough's enough. I need, I need your forgiveness. I want to start again. There's a couple of things that happen to anyone who's really understood the genuine forgiveness of God. Firstly, they experience joy, the joy of the Lord. Because he's come and he's dealt with everything that your shame and your guilt um, gripped you with. The idea of doing things that nobody, you don't want anybody to know you've done before. Or the idea of having done things that you can't let go of the regret and the hurt and the pain of the things that you may have done before. All these things, all of a sudden, when you know the genuine forgiveness of the Lord, the great love and forgiveness of God, when you hear him say to you, I forgive you, there is joy. There is joy that comes into your life. And i tell you something else that happens after there is joy that comes into your life. What happens to those who know the genuine forgiveness of God? They find themselves, they cannot run back to their sin. They cannot run back to the things they used to do. They can't anymore. They just, they just find, it's, it's like they just can't do it because they know and understand just how great and how beautiful this forgiveness is. It's like, it's a, it's like a shame. In fact, the, the Bible describes it even in, in, beautifully. It says like a, like a dog returning to its vomit because it's, it's vulgar because you understand just how beautiful God's forgiveness is. And I ask you this morning, how well do you know the forgiveness of God? Do you desire it? Because I believe this morning when we get a picture of the resurrected Christ, what you're going to see, what you're going to, I hope, will see this morning is this beautiful uh, uh, um, uh, word that says you can be forgiven. I want to ask you about another question. Who's sitting among us this morning and who's watching this morning on Zoom who feels that in their heart of hearts what they really need is a bit of renewing from God? A renewal. Yeah, you confess you've believed. You've done all the Christian things. You go to church, you read your Bible. But there's in your heart, you know, there's a renewing that has to happen. You're not where you should be. Maybe, maybe there's something that's happened where you've slid back into something that you know you shouldn't be doing. And I want to tell you this morning... When you look at the resurrected Christ and you see the power of God's resurrection, he just says, come, come. And watch me restore and renew powerfully those things that you think could never happen. And if this morning, if what you deeply in your heart desire is this renewing of faith, then all you've got to look to is the Christ who rose and conquered the grave. This power that he demonstrated to us now lives in us. And through this, our faith is that God can not only, not only renew, but, but equip and empower and restore all things back to new again. Because this is who Christ is. Because what happened all throughout the century is this. Something remarkable happened that this world still cannot get a grip on. Do you know that? Something remarkable happened that this world still cannot fathom. Jesus Christ came to this earth, listen carefully, 
lived a life perfectly, was crucified, not for sin, was crucified and then conquered death, rose again from the grave, something no other teacher of any kind has ever accomplished, has changed thousands of lives, if not millions of lives, He's changed and transformed. And as a result, people have debated and debated and debated on who he is. But I tell you something, in all this, the resurrection of Christ demands, listen, demands that you make a decision. Because there is nothing else on this earth, there is nothing else that has been taught and preached and proclaimed on this earth that could ever come close to a man who died and rose again. There's nothing that can come close to this. So either you need to decide you don't believe or you need to decide I believe. Whatever it is, but it demands a decision. Because there is nothing that can take away this very truth that Jesus Christ lives and reigns today. And the Bible says quite clearly that if it didn't happen, if it didn't happen, then everything we live for and breathe for is gone. Our faith is gone, our hope is gone, our love is gone, our life is gone. Everything is gone, the Bible says, if Jesus Christ didn't rise from the dead. And so it demands a decision. And don't think, listen, don't think that if you're thinking about it, that that's your decision. It's good that you're thinking about it. But when you come to God face to face, one day when you face God face to face, you're not going to be found pleasing to God because you said to him, I was thinking about it. What it's going to require of you is to say, I decided. I decided to follow the resurrected Christ. So the resurrection of Christ, it's so unique that it demands a decision. It demands you to make a decision one way or the other. Will you follow him or will you not? Because he's alive. He's alive. And so because he's alive, he's declared to be the son of God and the son of truth. And so it's a decision that we make. So I want to read this story where on the very first opportunity, these women had the, um, had, had the privilege of experiencing an empty tomb, something that you and I could never have. We can never have this physical experience that these women, these women had, but we have a different type of experience which is very, very similar. So let's read Matthew 28, verses, uh, verses 1 to 8. Listen to what happens. Now after the Sabbath, as the first day of the week began to dawn, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to see the tomb, and behold... There was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat on it. His countenance was like lightning and his clothing as white as snow. And the guards shook for fear of him and became like dead men. But the angel answered and said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He's not here. For he is risen, as he said. Come see the place where they lay the Lord. And go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead. And indeed, he is going before you into Galilee, and there you will see him. Behold, I have told you. 
So they went quickly, they went out quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to bring his disciples' word. I want us to look at this passage for a little bit this morning. I want you to think a bit about what happened to these women. What was the experience of these women? And at the end of the day, your greatest challenge this morning is this, to to look beyond the experience of these women and ask yourself, can I make this my experience? Can I make this the reality in my life? Because this is what often the Bible does. People can read the Bible in a couple of ways. They can read it like, oh, that's a very good experience. That's an amazing experience. What a wonderful experience. Or they can make it their own experience because this is what God has called us to do. He hasn't given us the Bible that we can become intellectuals and we become really clever in knowing the Bible. He's he's given us the Bible that our lives can be transformed, that we can be filled with hope, it can be filled with life, it can be done with the old and begin with the new. That's what he's given us, the Word of God. And these women had an experience very interesting because they went to the tomb expecting to see something and all of a sudden God had something else to show them. (laughs) They went expecting to see a tomb with a stone on it and a dead body inside. That's what they expected to see. They expected something that they, would, they, they were gonna, they're anticipating was going to happen. God thought, you, you have no idea what's going to happen. God had a different plan for them. God wanted to see something different. And I think this is a beautiful picture of Easter Sunday when people come to church on an Easter Sunday. People come to church or people listen to church on an Easter Sunday. There's an anticipation in your heart why you came this morning. Many of you may have come because you thought it's Easter. I'm going to listen to an Easter story. I want to be encouraged by an Easter story. I want to listen to what God has to say about Easter and the resurrection of Christ. You may have come anticipating something, but God has a different plan to what he wants to show you. Maybe God wants to reveal something about your life and where you're at today that you thought never was possible for God to do. And if you're willing and open, as these women were, to receive what God had planned for them to see on Easter Sunday, then your life will be changed forever. But if you come with what you anticipated only, then you're going to leave only with this, and Easter will just be another Sunday for you in another calendar year. But I pray this morning it's not like that. I pray this morning for the first time, whether you're listening or whether you're here, for the first time in your life, what you came anticipating, that you're able to pray in your heart of hearts this morning, Lord, I came for one reason, but why have you brought me here? Why have you brought me here? Because that's all that really matters. Again, you might think, oh, I'm here because I was asked to come or something, or I'm listening because someone's asking me to sit next to them. But it's no coincidence. God has a word to speak. God has a word. And this, these women came, I believe, seeking truth. These women were, were seekers of truth. They were women who loved Jesus. They were women who knew what he preached and taught was true. They were women who weren't going to give up just because they had laid him in a grave. They were going to still fulfill their duties and do what had to happen because they still, he was dear to them. And because they were lovers of truth, because they were lovers of Jesus, Jesus was prepared, God was prepared to give them a privilege before even the male disciples because he knew, perhaps he knew in their hearts just where their hearts were at. And here they were, the absolute privilege of coming with a certain, I guess, thought in their mind but God having a different plan in his. The Bible tells us in in the first couple of verses that Mary Magdalene and Mary came to see the tomb and there was a great earthquake. And this angel comes down from heaven, rolls away this big tomb. I want you to think about something. Could this resurrection have happened before the cross? 
Of course not. Could the stone have been rolled away before they laid Jesus in the tomb? No, it doesn't make sense. And one of the beautiful things I love about the resurrection is this. This massive earthquake that took place. God was declaring, I've come to resurrect the Son of God. Because listen to this very carefully. You can't have a resurrection. You can't have a resurrection before you have a cross. Can you? And I believe this is a very beautiful principle of life. This is a beautiful picture that God is um, reminding us of this Easter. If you want to experience a resurrection, a life that is filled with hope, a life that is given the meaning that Christ intended for it to have, for you to experience life, you must first experience death. There is no resurrection unless there is first a cross. And that is true in everything in life. Jesus said this, that if you want to find your life, what do you got to do? You've got to lose it. That if you want to find your life, you've got to lose it. But if you seek to find it, you're going to lose it. But if you lose it for my sake, then you're going to find it. Because what he's trying to say is this. You have to come to the end of yourself. You need to be able to say, you know, you know I've got my thoughts, my ideas about life. I've got my way and my plan about life. But at the end of the day, it ultimately takes me nowhere. Because the Bible says this very, very clearly. That there's a way that seems right to people. But at the end of the day, it leads to death. So we make a choice either way. We make a choice, to, we make a decision to follow Christ. But at the end of the day, unless there is going to be first a cross, there can, be a never res- there can never be a resurrection. And if this morning you desire to have life, or listen, if you desire to have renewal of faith, if you want your faith to be renewed, if you want your faith to be strengthened, if you want to find an experience unlike the experiences you've had before, then you first must come to the cross and say, Lord Jesus, I'm done with my life, trying to live it my way. I'm going to live it your way. And then the Bible says, I believe believe the Bible says from that experience God resurrects and gives life because they first must come to the end of yourself there must be a carrying if you like of your cross or the bearing of the end of yourself in order to find life now people get this confused people say they, they refer to the carrying of cross as if like it's some heavy burden on their life have you heard that phrase before people say oh that's the cross I have to carry in my life People use, people use that phrase flippantly. They use it uh, casually. But you know what? That's actually not even biblically accurate. You know that? It's not biblically accurate to say, oh, this is, the, this is the cross I have to bear in my life. As if like I'm burdened with something I cannot get rid of for the rest of my life. Now, while that may be true of your experience, it's not a biblically accurate statement. Do you understand? Because when we carry a cross in our lives, that's actually freedom. That's liberty. When we take up our cross to follow Christ, that's not a burden we carry the rest of our lives. That's the the end of ourselves in order to live as Christ intended us to live. Now we are free and free indeed. That's the beauty of Christ. But before it comes to the resurrection, then we must understand that, Lord, we're saying, I need to go your way. I need to do things your way. I come to the end of myself. And so this great earthquake took place, if you like. It's like an earthquake in your life. Anyone who's given your life to Jesus Christ would understand sometimes the experience feels like an earthquake because it's like, it's, it's like unbelievably different to what you expected to be living before. And God shakes you to the core to transform you. So these angels came and they stood. Uh, sorry, 
Here they were, ready to speak and declare the truths of God. And in verse 3, the Bible says, His countenance was like lightning, and his clothing was as white as snow. And the guards shook for fear of him and became like dead men. How is it? How is it? I don't know. Were these women working out? Were these women like strong women who off to the gym every day and, you know, they were built well and they were of great stamina and, and these guards were like little weaklings? I don't know what happened. But what I'm reading in this story here is that the angel came, it's the same thing, they witnessed the same experiences and yet they have the guards who are meant to be the, the Roman soldiers of great strength who fall dead on the floor and these women stand, stay standing. How is it? That they witness the same experience and yet one is able to stand and one is able to fall dead. You know, I love this story. It's just, it tells us so much about life today. Because we know, brothers and sisters, we know that the resurrection's got nothing to do with facts. Sorry, I want to say nothing. It's, facts are minimal when it comes to the resurrection. It's faith. These women sought truth. They loved Jesus. They were after one thing only. They wanted to know the Lord. And because of this, their faith, or if you like, their seeking of truth, if you like, were able to resist what was going on. But the men who sought nothing but themselves found themselves like dead men. Because this is life. If all you seek are the things that pertain to you, the same truth that gives life to someone kills you, destroys you. And here we are like these guards that were like dead men. They weren't able to even withstand the very power of God when these women stood believing, stood seeing, stood able to, to know and believe what is going on. Because it's about faith. This resurrection is about faith. It's not about facts. I can tell you all. I can give you fact after fact after fact about the resurrection. But that's not going to do anything for you unless you decide to believe. Unless you decide to have faith. These women, if you like, sought life. I love sharing sometimes what, what comes out of the mouth of children. I did it on Friday night and I want to share with you another one this morning. I think sometimes children say things that are so significant. Sometimes children say things that we as adults are afraid to say. Because they just, they don't have, the, the filter isn't there. And sometimes that's good, sometimes it's not so good. There's a story of a little five year old boy who was a part of an Easter program. And he had the, one of the most important lines in, his, in, this, in this play. The line was, He's not here, he is risen. But of course, when he gets to that line, he forgot it, he forgot what the line was. So the director of the play went up and whispered what the line was. You know, he whispered, he's not here, he's risen. So the little boy confidently grabs his microphone and shouts out, he's not here, he is in prison. (laughs) You know, I'm thinking, what a beautiful story. What a beautiful story. Because this is what Easter means to so many people. Think about it for a moment. Yes, I believe he rose. Yes, I believe that the grave is empty. Yes, I have an acknowledgement of all these things. But at the end of the day, when it comes to my life, it's like he's in prison. It means nothing. He might as well just be in prison because it's done nothing for me. 
It's, it's, it's an acknowledgement of what is true. He is risen. Yeah, it's an acknowledgement. He's not in the grave. He's not here. Sorry, he's not here. But is he risen? Well, no, not in my life. It hasn't changed me, hasn't transformed me, hasn't sustained me. It doesn't triumphantly work in me. And until it does, listen, until it does, you're yet to know the power of the resurrection. And, and for all intents and purposes, you, can, you will declare, like so many people in this world, he's not here, he's in prison. I pray this morning that that changes. You know, there are so many people, like I said before, that just love telling stories about the resurrection to do something to discredit it somehow. I've told you before. But at the end of the day, all they're trying to do is put Jesus back in prison. And they're trying to find facts and evidence to do that. You know the stories. People like to somehow uh, discredit the resurrection. They say things like that something happened instead of he really resurrected. And I, I, I read through them and sometimes I get upset at their reasons, but often I just laugh at them. It's like humorous. In fact, you know, I reckon they could make a comedy show of the reasons that they gave. They, they could make a comedy show and the genre would be comedy. Because really, at the end of the day, it's funny when you read these stories. I'll give you an example of some of the reasons people give to, to somehow discredit. One, one of the reasons is that Jesus Christ, that, that, the, the disciples hallucinated. Isn't that funny? They hallucinated. Okay, look, think about it for a moment. They hallucinated. They saw Jesus resurrected. All of them hallucinated. All of them. And then they had the same hallucination. And then not only that, the Bible says over 500 people saw him. So they all had the same hallucination. So I'm telling you, you make a comedy show out of it. Another really funny one was when they say that the disciples stole his body. Stole his body? That's crazy on many levels. Firstly, there's a massive tomb. There's some guards standing there. You're going to get past those. I don't think the disciples were like, you know big fellows that were prepared to fight. You know, first they get through these, these, these guards, and then they're going to steal the body, and then they're going to make out like he's resurrected, and then they're going to be prepared to die, which they did, for a body that they stole and a lie they created. It gets funnier and funnier. Because you know why, beloved? When the resurrection becomes all about facts and not about faith, this is what you start doing. You start picking, pointing about things so you can hopefully, hopefully, you can get yourself out of making a decision. But it doesn't work like that. Whether we believe it or not, he resurrected. Whether you want to believe it or not, he lives and reigns. And you're making a choice. You're making a choice. Whether you're here on Zoom, you're making a choice. You'll either choose to receive him now or you'll choose to face him as your judge. The Bible says we are appointed for, it is appointed for man to die once and then there's judgment. We don't come back to life again on this earth. And as Christ resurrects, he wants to give us forgiveness. He wants to give us renewal. He wants to restore what is broken. He wants to heal what is hurting. He wants to get rid of the pain that you have held on to because this is what he came to do and it's the power of his resurrection. And then the angel says this to the women, verse 5. 
But the angel answered and said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. Come and, uh, sorry, he is not here, for he, has, for he is risen, as he said. Come see the place where they laid the Lord. Famous words. He is not here. Why? <laughs> because he's risen. He's not here. Because he rose from the grave. There's no reason for the angels to say anything different because this was the truth. And these words, what's fascinating about these words, these words bring great joy to some people and great fear to others. Because listen carefully, if he has risen from the dead, well, this is great joy for those who believe. If he rose from the dead, this is great fear to those who don't. What are you going to do? Are you going to stand before the resurrected Christ and say, hang on, you suffered on the cross for my sins, you died and then rose again, never seen it before, the man raised himself from the dead, and then say, look at him in the face and say, I don't believe in you. I'm, I'm, I choose not to follow you. So for some it's great joy, and for others it ought to bring great fear. Because the resurrection of Christ, as I said earlier, demands a decision. You know, there are two things that, well, at least two things that as humans we can't stop. And that's why we're enslaved to these things, no matter how hard you try. And I guarantee you, you can go and try and do these things as much as you want, but I guarantee you, sorry to say, sorry to be the bearer of bad news, you're not going to be able to do these things. You will not be able to stop sinning and you will not be able to stop yourself dying. <laughs> Now, good news is only good news when you know in your heart that you are experiencing bad news. True? You can only, I can only give you good news if in your heart of hearts you believe that what you're experiencing is bad news. If you've created another story for yourself to replace the bad news, and you, you're giving yourself another good news story, then what I'm saying this morning is probably just going to fall on deaf ears. But if in your heart of hearts you know in your life where you are today and you think, you know what, it's not a good place, it's kind of really a bad place because I'm not where I should be before God, then, then I bring you good news. And I'm telling you this morning, there are two things you cannot stop. You cannot stop sinning and you cannot stop yourself from dying. You are enslaved to those things. Go, try. I'm happy to listen to you. If you, if you find a way from stopping yourself from sinning and you're stopping yourself from dying, I would love to hear from you. But I know you can't because I can't. I've, there's no way in the world I can. We are enslaved to these things. But you know the resurrection of Christ did this. He smashed sin and death. Do you know that? He conquered sin and the grave. Do you know that? And because we are enslaved to these things, all of a sudden the resurrected Christ declares that it is done with. You are free from this. Listen, listen to this verse in Corinthians. It says this. He says, O death, where is your sting? Listen carefully. O death, where is your sting? O Hades, where is your victory? In other words, the grave can no longer triumph over me. The sting of death is sin and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Do you hear that? Oh, death, where's your sting? 
But thanks be to God who gives us the victory. Oh, Hades, where's your victory? Because this is the truth. Though we, are, though we were enslaved to sin and the grave, Jesus Christ, resurrected, came to smash both. Do we believe? This faith is what transforms every heart that chooses to come and to believe what Jesus Christ did for us. Listen to what it says in Romans, and I'll finish with our last, our last verse. Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should walk in the newness of life. And so what, what we're beginning to see now, that this resurrection is doing this. It's putting an end to the things that kill us, and it is bringing into our lives the things that make us live. And now we are called with Christ that just as, listen what it says in Romans again, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, that we should also walk in the newness of life. That he rose from the dead, the glory of his Father. Now we're called to walk in a new life as well. It's great hope. So he's resurrected. Where is he now? Is he up in the air floating around, watching us like an angel? Is he far away and distant? Maybe he can hear us in heaven if we speak loud enough. Where is he? Is he some ghost-like image that wanders through the church on a Sunday morning? Where is he? He's resurrected. Well, we know he sits on the right hand of the Father. But something really amazing is now possible because he's resurrected. The Bible says that his spirit now comes to live within us. There's a verse in Romans that is often overlooked, I think, and I want to read it out to you. It says this. But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. It's quite fascinating. I think it's a, spirit, it's a verse that often gets overlooked, but let me try and paraphrase it for you. What God's saying is this. The thing that had to be so powerful that it raised a man from the grave. Do you get that? Because you don't just go around and say to, you don't go to the grave of Jesus and say, oh, get up. <laughs> you can't do that. But the very thing, thing, the spirit, he, that raised was so powerful, better than any force you ever know, was so powerful to raise Jesus from the grave, that same spirit now lives in his children. Wow. Saying, Lord, that spirit that raised him now is in me. Tell me, what is there in you that causes death that Jesus can't break? What is in, the, in you that causes um, uh, bondage that Jesus can't smash? What is there? If the same spirit that rose him from the grave now lives in us, what is there that is beyond your capacity? Oh, hang on a second. Isn't there a verse that says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me? That's why, listen, that's why the Apostle Paul said this in Philippians, that I may know him. This was the Apostle Paul's great desire, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. 
and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death. That's why when the Apostle Paul was speaking in the context, I believe, of his own humanity and his own inability, he said this, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. Because everything the resurrection is, when you look at the resurrection, everything that you can't do, he can do. Everything that you're unable to perform, he's able to perform. Not just sin and the grave, but everything else in life that he's called us to. Then you sit and you think to yourself, but I can't do this. It's beyond me. He says, no, it's within you. The Spirit of God who works through you because you choose to believe, not in what you can do, but what he has done, allows you to conquer sin and eventually the grave. That's good news. That's good news. It's so good that I think we do now what the women were called to do. Verse 7. Go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. If it is so good, then all we can be really at the end of the day, when it's real for us, and it ought to be real for you, all we can be at the end of the day is what the angel asked the women to be. Go and tell his disciples that he's risen. Go and bear that good news. Go and take it. Tell the world. And if the world wants to make up humorous um, ideas that try to discredit the resurrection... And the Spirit of God who lives within you that has transformed your life, that has made all things new and revealed all things to you, continues to be the same Spirit that will empower us and equip us and enable us not only to love our enemies, but to love all that we can be bearers of that good news as well. When we look at the resurrection Christ, yes, it demands a decision. And I believe that decision is ours today to make. Will we... Follow in all the footsteps of Christ. He's resurrected and he's leading the way. Will we follow in all the footsteps of Christ this morning? Let's pray. As we pray this morning, I ask you to really think about how the resurrection does demand a decision from us. If this morning our deep desire is for forgiveness, then Christ lives and reigns to offer this to us, that we would turn from our old ways and come and embrace and surrender to Christ alone. If this morning our desire, our heart's desire deep in our hearts is a renewing of our faith, The resurrected Christ still lives and reigns with power and great strength. Let's trust him this morning. Let's put our hand in his hand this morning and allow him to lead us and guide us. Let's look to his word as our only source of help. And let's continue to listen to his voice as he speaks to us.
words of truth and words of life. He's not here in the grave, he's risen and alive and well in our hearts. Father in heaven, I thank you, Lord, for your word this morning. I thank you that you are the resurrected Christ who lives and reigns in your people. Thank you that by your Holy Spirit, Lord, you have come to um, transform us from the inside because we've put our trust in you, Lord. Lord, we know that you're not in the grave. We know that you're alive and well. And we know that because of this, we face every day with a faith and a confidence knowing that you are there for us. May you continue to work in our lives, Lord, and continue to strengthen our faith day after day. You are everything, Lord. And we thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen.